RadioInfluence.com. This is the place that the UFC and Bellator come to for the inside scoop of what's going on in the world of mixed martial arts. The doors of the gym are opened up just for you. We are the MMA Insiders on Radio Influence. The calendar has turned over to 2019, and we are going to talk about the top 10 stories of 2018 on this special edition of the MMA Insiders podcast with Sam Kaplan. I am Jason Floyd. Sam, how the hell are you doing, man? Doing well. It's good to be back talking some MMA with you, Jason. Yeah, man, it's it's a uh, you know nice little nice little uh, week where we we don't have any MMA going on, so it's always great to uh, talk a little MMA with you. And uh, you know, you approached me, you said, "Hey, I, I want to do this special show of our top ten stories," and kind of explain to our listeners kind of the format of the show today. So the format that we're going to be using, we're actually stealing it from another podcast that I've listened to in the past. The podcast is called Top Ten. It's hosted by uh, John Roca and Matt Nost, and they do usually they focus on entertainment topics. And what they do is they basically each independently come out with their own top ten lists, and they reveal them to each other at the same time on the show. Jason and I have not discussed our list, placement of stories, what stories made the list, and etc. So one of us will go first. Jason has elected to have me go first. I will name my top 10 through 6. Um, once a story is named that has not been named by the other person, we immediately go into the details of that story. We talk about the impact, our thoughts on it, maybe even comment why it was in our top one person's top 10 and not in the others. Now, if I name something that's on Jason's list, we wait until the story is named for a second time, kind of basically just acknowledges, hey, we're not going to talk about this story because it's on my list. Um, He may allude to where it's ranked um, or just a general idea of where it's ranked. Once it's named for the second time, then we will get into the details of that story. So uh, let's fire off. Let's get right into this thing, Sam. Uh, let's let's go your uh, 10 up to 6. So I'm going to start out with my number 10. Brock Lesnar returns to MMA and the UFC at UFC 226 on July 7th. That is not on my list. Yeah, and this barely made my list because <laughs> had there actually been follow-through, and when I say follow-through, the naming of uh, when Brock Lesnar was going to fight Daniel Cormier, if that fight had actually been booked for 2019 by now, I think that would definitely uh, rank just about high on everybody's list. It barely made my list. I actually had it higher at one point. It slipped down to uh, uh, number 10. I, I thought it was a very impactful incident. Brock Lesnar entering the cage, getting into that f- faux pull-apart with Daniel Cormier, the, the pro-wrestling style uh angle there but the fact that we have not seen the follow-through the follow-up to that angle the fact that we do not know for sure whether Brock Lesnar will even return to the octagon for sure in 2019 definitely lessened the impact of that that uh story yeah man it's it's really been quiet on that front with Brock I mean I know some of it kind of uh, you know, Dana alluded to it a little bit uh, this past weekend, UFC 232. And, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things just because Brock doesn't really talk. We, you really don't know. I mean, really, you're not going to know until whether a, a fight announcement comes or not. I, I thought the most interesting thing that DC said, uh, I want to say he said on Ariel's uh, show on uh, Monday night on ESPN2, was basically like, hey, if 
if the Brock thing doesn't come together, he thinks that the the rematch of Stipe Miocic should happen. But I mean, I, I've, I've I said this on my podcast earlier today, Sam. If I'm the UFC, if it's not Brock Lesnar, um, Daniel Cormier, I, I'm doing whatever I can to make Jones Cormier three. Yeah, and you know, I, I will predict though that Brock Lesnar will return to the octagon in 2019. The UFC continues to put a heavy focus on pay-per-views despite the fact that a lot of their numbers for the non-premium level pay-per-view shows are dwindling Uh, in order to to make sure you have premium level pay-per-views these big big events you've got to hustle and really uh make sure that the few big time gate attractions that you have that they do compete at least once i think that's why we saw potentially the push to get john jones back in there um, uh, so I definitely it wouldn't surprise me if we saw Brock Lesnar, Daniel Cormier sometime in July. And I'm going to go one step further, and make another bold prediction for 2019. I think we're going to see Ronda Rousey return to the octagon in December of 2019 at their year end pay-per-view. I just think that with the rumors of Ronda headlining a WrestleMania this coming April against Becky Lynch and the fact that Amanda Nunez looked even more dominant than before. I think that uh, maybe takes off some of the uh, some of the negative aspects of Ronda's loss to Amanda by Amanda beating Cyborg in the fashion that she did. I think that there's going to be a push to get Ronda back into the cage. I think with that WrestleMania, WrestleMania headlining appearance, appearance she's going to be able to command a lot of money, too much money to walk away from. So I think that there's going to be a desire on both parties' part to get together and make something happen by the end of 2019. You know, Sam, I, I understand where you're coming from for that, but if I am someone in Team Rousey, why do you want to see her fight again? I mean, we've seen how bad it's gone for. I mean, I guess if you find the the matchup where you know you're not really fight, fighting a striker, you said it. You said it right there. I, I think that I think that you're not going to see her fight a top ten opponent. I think you're going to see her fight a name, a, a great matchup, and they're going to sell the spectacle of Ronda coming back to the cage following a WrestleMania headlining appearance. Yeah, it's uh, you know, Becky. Maybe, maybe we see Ronda Rousey, Becky Lynch <laughs> in the in the cage. I, you know, a lot of hey, a lot of people would pay for that, Jason. Oh, good lord! You, you know it. You could literally have that be a one fight pay per view, and it would sell. Well, you know, uh, Becky Lynch is training with uh, Connor's camp apparently. I tell you what, I'm you know I'm not uh, you know someone who watches WWE, but I, I you know, I've kind of seen everything she's done. They are doing a phenomenal job of uh, how much of that is her people around her, whatnot. But man, they are, they have done an incredible job of just you know taking her, get, you know, getting punched in the face into. I mean, I guess she's going to headline WrestleMania now. Yep. It's crazy. Uh, what's number nine on your list? Number nine, the ongoing lawsuit by the fighters against the UFC. Don't think we saw a lot of major headlines with regards to this ongoing lawsuit. Uh, you know, no super major developments, but the fact that it's still ongoing, the fact that it's still continuing into uh, 2019, I think is very notable. We got a lot of great updates throughout the 2018 calendar year from Paul Gift and some other people that are following this story closely. And I think it could have tremendous impact if it's somehow decided in 2019, whether it goes to trial or if there's a settlement. Um, And who knows? There's no guarantee that we will get some kind of conclusive ending to this lawsuit in 2019. But if the ending were to happen, um, it could have dramatic effects on the UFC and how business is conducted in in MMA. Yeah, that's not on my list, but it was a story that was kind of as I was putting everything together was clearly in – 
um, in my thought process and kind of the way I was kind of, you know, my thought was the lack of kind of developments we, we've seen in this. I mean, and Paul Giff, John Nash, Jason Cruz, they, they've done a great job of, of covering that story. But it was kind of it was one of those stories that was just outside of my top ten. Number eight, I have Eddie Alvarez signing with one FC. That once again, it's not on my list. This really? Is, and I'll see the ten and nine I could understand. But number eight, how do you not have Eddie Alvarez in your top ten? Uh, you know, I, I was more thinking uh, kind of the out I would say like that eleven to fifteen range was about kind of free agent signings and, and kind of everything that, that one championship has done. I do have something one related, but that's uh later. Okay. Well, I just think that to me, this was a major landmark signing for one FC to bring Eddie Alvarez coming off the heels of a very successful tenure in the UFC. It signals a change, I think, in strategies by one. I think they're, they're looking potentially beyond just the Asian market. They're looking to make some inroads into other parts of the world. And this is just a, I thought it was a tremendous signing by them, very impactful. And the way it was covered, I mean, it was covered like a big time news story. Usually we don't see, you know, signings outside of UFC free agent signings covered that heavily, but this is one that definitely put a lot of media members on notice and forced them to give one FC, or I guess just now known as one, a lot of coverage. And I think Eddie Alvarez is going to have a huge impact on one going forward in 2019. You know, uh, I think it could lead into the impact of one of your stories that you'll potentially name later, but I, I'm not going to out that story right just yet. So, yeah, I mean, I think the thing that about one championship that's going to be interesting as we head into 2019 is, is with this deal with Turner and being on the, the BR live app, which is just another stream platform that the MMA fans have to have. Yeah. It's just kind of interesting yeah. is can one championship get a bigger market share in the United States? And, you know, the one thing is when they do have these tape delay shows, we're gonna have a, we're, we're gonna know exactly what they're drawing. So to me, that's gonna be very interesting as one you know kind of makes that progression of their promotion. And it should be interesting though, even if, if even if they're only one hour tape shows, there's a lot of rumors that the brand uh, newly announced All Elite Wrestling, uh, you know Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks, uh, potentially competitor to WWE. There's some rumors that Turner Sports could be interested in that property as well. So it'd be interesting to see potentially a two-hour block of All Elite Wrestling, uh, maybe on Tuesday nights, followed occasionally by a one-hour tape delay broadcast of some of the bigger one shows that are featuring some of these American names that they've signed, uh, such as Eddie Alvarez and a couple of the other former UFC fighters that they've added to their roster. You know, I, you know, because obviously when the initial reports that came out, and then once the press release came out, we got a, a much different version of it. But one of the things I was thinking of is if that that one hour tape delay broadcast is later on at night, say 10, 11, you know, midnight Eastern time. If I am part of one championships, I want that to be following the NBA postgame show. Yeah, you know, either either following the NBA, but I think this all elite wrestling. I think that could be a great lead in for them as well if that happens. Yeah, it'd be very interesting. What's number seven for you? Number seven, I, this uh, this has to be on your list. Ben Askren, the rights to Ben Askren traded to the UFC. Yes, that that is uh, on my list. Uh, I actually had that number seven, Sam, and 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 really the way I labeled this was the UFC one championship quote unquote trade. Uh, you know which. Uh, Obviously, we've really never seen before, but it was, you know, the thing I find the funniest about all this is how Dana White hated Ben Askren for all these years. 
And then all of a sudden, Ben Askren's in the UFC, and he is ready to fight anybody, anytime. He's like Dana White's favorite fighter now. Well, we've got to hold off because per the format, we've got to wait until you na- officially name it on your list yeah. before we can talk about it in depth. But uh, that that was a, a, just a huge story. Now, my the final story of my bottom top five, Kevin K departs Paramount Net- Network. That is not on my list. That that is what? Wow. That that it, it, look. I, it, it's it's a, obviously a significant move. Um, you know, and, and I look more at the the future of what potentially that could mean for Bellator. I, I've said this for a long time. If if I was running Bellator or inside Viacom, I am on the phone with Fox Sports, and I'm trying to get Bellator and FS1. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the ratings on Paramount have really really flatline it's the the cable industry has changed it's, uh, the way entertainment's viewed has become so specialized and paramount has you know formerly spike has really seen its reach lessen over the past couple of years especially with these wars going on between cable providers and these skinny bundle packages trying to present a package to the end user that's you know, as cost effective as possible and certain networks, certain family of networks get included in those packages and sometimes they don't. And I think, you know, in certain cases, uh, you know, the Viacom channels have been on the outside looking in. I'm a big fan of YouTube TV, uh, monthly subscriber to it. And I can tell you, none of the Viacom channels are uh, included on that. And I think that's a big reason why they're keeping that cost down to $40 a month, yet still having the ESPNs of the world involved in that package. Uh, But, you know, I, I think this is, a significant uh, development this past year, Jason, because Kevin Kay was the biggest proponent of Bellator. And we had talked about it in the past. I had mentioned that, you know, if Kevin Kay, you know, ever departed Viacom and Spike TV slash Paramount, that Bellator potentially could be in trouble unless its ratings increase. Now, I think the fact that they have a and we'll talk about it more, a, a, a secondary TV deal now, I think that has really uh, helped them. But had that secondary TV deal not be not, not been uh, uh, reached and this move had taken place independently, Bellator would be in massive trouble. And, you know, there could still be some changes for Bellator in the future regardless. You mentioned Fox Sports 1. There's no inside information suggesting that, you know, Bellator is prepared to make a move to a Fox Sports 1. But from a logistical standpoint, from a logic standpoint, that would seem to make a lot of sense going to a sports network, being surrounded by more programming that is a much closer fit to what they're presenting um, but, you know, something's got to change. These ratings on Paramount have not been strong. Bellator sticks out like a sore th- thumb on there. And I think with Kevin Kay no longer running any t- day-to-day type of operation within Viacom's programming of TV channels, I think the impetus could be there to, to, to change. And, you know, there was interesting uh, – it was interesting. There was a tweet, I think it was earlier in December, from Talk MMA, you know. Uh, and, you know, people sometimes try to question the – the validity of, you know, uh, personalities on Twitter tweeting reports and information out. But it is 2019, uh, literally 2019 now. And the way uh, stories get reported it, it has changed. And Talk MMA is at Talk MMA is a guy that's had some interesting scoops and insight in the past. And one of the things that he discussed is that Bellator is possibly being prepped for a sale, which would not surprise me. If that were to be true, I think it's going to be very difficult. Uh, 
with now that they actually have some revenue coming in, how do you price a Bellator uh, with one of their new uh, secondary TV deals uh, that we'll talk about, I'm sure, later on in this show? Um, you know, but it wouldn't surprise me if we saw a Bellator sale in 2019 and or we saw a change from how they're programmed. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if the Paramount thing deal just uh, disappeared and the programming ended up somewhere else. You know, the the Bellator ratings in 2018, it, it's it's blown my mind. I mean, you know, me and Sam, you used to work for, for Viacom and Bellator. Right. I mean, could you imagine if you ended the year and your average viewers for live plus same day was 415,000 viewers? I, you know, I couldn't imagine that. Um, but, you know, I think I've been gone for, from Bellator for over four years. Four years ago, I couldn't imagine the cable industry becoming so fragmented. I couldn't have imagined, you know, the the, the Hulu Live of the world, uh, you know, YouTube TV. You know, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, some of these skinny bundles being put out there and really taking a heavy market share. I, you know, uh, back then, Netflix did not have 100 million paid subscribers. So the world has changed a lot in four years. I think the the you know some of it is stuff that's really out of Bellator's control, even out of Viacom's control. I do think Bellator has been hurt heavily by not being packaged with programming that is a good fit. You know that was I thought always felt was a big issue for Bellator when I was there. We never had the right lead in, with the exception of TNA for that one. Uh, 12, you know, 12 uh, show season that we had. And Kevin Kay is someone that had a tremendous reputation as a program. He was with Nickelodeon under his tutelage. Nickelodeon, you know, developed programs such as us, uh, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants, Rugrats, uh, Doug, you know, those are from a generational standpoint, those shows, you know, had a lot of resonance with uh, millennials and they were highly rated. And for whatever reason, that success that he achieved in developing programming with Nickelodeon, for whatever reason, never translated to Spike, now Paramount. And I think Bellator has been hurt by that in the past and is still being hurt by the fact that there isn't a ton of highly rated hot programming on Paramount to help bring in some additional viewers. Yeah, and Jedi Goodman on Twitter is a great follower for anything yes. MMA uh, television ratings. And, and he Absolutely. had this, this was uh, back from uh, earlier uh, in December, where uh, he noted going back to 2014 all the way to 2018. 2014, the average for Bellator was 690,000. That was 22 events. Uh, 2015, 746K. That was for 16 events. 2016, 676K, 22 events. 2017, 610K. That was for 22 events. And 415k for 20 events. Uh, two events, that of course, aired on DAZN. Do not not count in that number. And, and I'm a cord cutter. I got rid of Directv, and I have YouTube TV. I've had for probably about probably about a month and a half now. It's an unbelievable uh, platform. I love it. I mean, it's it's great. The unlimited DVR. I mean, I I, I, I don't I don't miss Directv at all. I can watch the sporting events that I want to watch. I mean, to me, it's it's a great feature. I do have DAZN. I, I will tell you this. And, and the great thing with DAZN is I have access to all the Bellator content, whether it's airing on Paramount or it's DAZN exclusive event. But their last uh, the last uh, Paramount event, the Chandler premise card. And, and I think that what has happened in MMA television is that they, the people who are putting these shows together 
have almost in a way made it to where just watch it via DVR. I mean, it, it was <laughs> had to be the worst pacing of a cable television car I've ever seen in my life. I mean, there was I think I I want to say we were it was like at the 110 minute mark of the broadcast and the third fight was just going wow. to the cage. I mean, it, wow. it was. It, it's one of these things where I look at it, and, and when I look at these television ratings, and the UFC struggle with television ratings as well, is it just because fans are sitting there going, you know what, I know I'm going to have to sit through a bunch of filler content, I'll just watch it after the fact. It's hard to build an audience and keep an audience when you're programming that way. It, it was, I was, I remember, because I wanted to, like, you got me to the television set to watch Chandler Prince. That was my whole reason. I really didn't care about the rest of the car, just being honest. You got me there for the main event, and I remember it was the AJ McKee was the third fight, and which was another showcase fight for AJ McKee. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm sitting there, and I, I almost like I was I was about ready to just turn it off, go to bed. So you know what, screw it, I'm, I'm going to do some of my work I need to do, and it was background noise until the main event started. And it's just, and that's where I, I you got to look at, and and I don't think it's going to change with the UFC on ESPN. I think we're going to see the same oh, no. thing, yeah. but I, I just would hope that there's these people who are formatting these shows that you know. Don't look at MMA Twitter as, oh, those guys are haters. Look at that as honest criticism of what, you know, those are the people who are your P1s. Those are the people who you expect to always be there. And if they're sitting there going, I can't make it through a card, you got serious issues. And, 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 like, and that Bellator event, whoever formatted that show, I don't know how they justify their job. I, w I don't know who, who's behind that. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the pacing and UFC on ESPN+. Plus. You would think, you know, that, oh, wow, you know, now that they're not, you know, a lot of these shows aren't going to be on basic cable, that the pacing will be better. There's no guarantee of that. That's because it's just exclusive to ESPN Plus in North America, that UFC deal. That feed, those ESPN Plus shows are still being beamed across the globe to other television partners in other markets. And there has to be commercial inserts. There has to be breaks between fights by contract so that their TV partners around the world can insert their advertisements and recoup some of the money that they've given to the UFC in, in, in the form of a rights fee. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there. So that's uh, your 10 through 6. So I'm going to start off with my number 10, Sam. Uh, my number 10, Golden Boy enters MMA. <sighs> you know, I don't have that on my list at all. I just don't think they're going to – I don't think Oscar De La Hoya is going to have staying power. I, you know, I, I wasn't impressed by that main event, Tito Ortiz versus Chuck Liddell. I had no interest in that, no interest in that. And I think that the real reason why Oscar De La Hoya, after all these years, has finally dipped his toe in MMA, I think it was nothing more than a cash grab. I think he would – that, hey, I'll put on a MMA shows and maybe DAZN, uh, which has given me a, a – ton of money for my boxing content maybe i'll be able to double up my money and get some money for some mma content i you know i, I just don't think that this is going to have a huge impact i don't think it's going to help fighters get better money from the ufc i don't think it's gonna you know i don't think it's gonna go anywhere no i mean that, it, it's just it's more the fact that he's entering it and and we saw the scores pay i mean it was what you would expect out of an mma show and uh you know the other the other big um thing that stuck out to me was none of those guys were on multi-fight deals but it'll be interesting to kind of see even though i did i don't know if you saw his tweet the other day where he was basically talking about no more pay-per-view and all this and and <laughs> you know trying to start his view with with the ufc and i'm like i don't think that tweet's gonna age well i really nah. don't because nah, once he has a fight that he feels can can get you know 50 60 70 80 dollars on pay-per-view he'll go to pay-per-view 
Well, a lot of things that a lot of things that De La Hoya has done in the past is not uh, they have not aged well. Certain things, and you can go and Google those things if you'd like. I think our listeners probably know what you're talking about. Uh, my number nine is the sport of MMA continues to not be unified. You look at the the issues throughout this sport. It's just it, to me, it's it's a continuing major story for me. Well, you, we talked about it offline last week. You you made a good point. There's basically three sets of rules now in MMA. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I'm guessing this is not on your list. It is not on my list. So we can talk about it in depth. Um, you know, the regulatory stuff, I got to be honest, Jason, it just bores me. It just bores me. It's it's very impactful. It definitely is worth discussion. But as a fan, it just it just bores me and it just keeps getting worse and worse. A lot of these decisions that are made, just the divide that exists between all of these different athletic commissions, um, you know, I would love to see them get on the same page, you know, for the good of the sport, because what's happening now is not good for the sport. Having three sets of rules as if things weren't confusing enough for for MMA fans and you have over 600 fighters in the UFC as if things weren't as hard enough to follow with all these shows and all these fighters on the roster now you've got three sets of rules it really hurts the growth of the sport I remember I was talking to Eric Anders uh, a while ago I want to say this was after his fight uh, it was against Tim Williams which I'm trying to I forget what state that one was in but he's you know because he, he threw this kick that he could have he was about a millisecond away from potentially being illegal and I asked him about that, and I said, did you ask about the rule set prior? And he goes, oh, yeah. He goes, when the referee came back to go over the rules, that's the first question I asked him, what rule set are we under? And it's just, to me, it's unfortunate for the fighters because this is the one that hurts. I mean, it's almost like I feel like I would love a, a roundtable discussion of Mark Ratner, uh, you know, of course, runs regulatory affairs for uh, the UFC, off the top of my head, I, I can't think of his name for Bellator. I, it'll come to me. Corey. Uh, Corey Schaefer. Corey Schaefer. Uh, you know, have him, have Mike Mazzulli, the head of the ABC, and then have Tim Lukanoff, who who runs the other national uh, commission, and, and have all those those men sit in a room and kind of have a conversation of why this sport isn't unified. I have my own opinions on it. Um, but I think that would, but will that ever happen? Highly unlikely. Would also love to see Nick Lembo and Andy Foster on that round table because they're highly influential in, in the direction of these rules. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, hell just look at what happened last week. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I had a chance to sit down with Mike Mazzulli and Andy Foster over this year at the ABC meeting. Uh, I plan to go out to Arizona, um, later on this year and, and kind of do that again. And, and talk to those guys, but you know, it's it, to me, it's just I, I just feel for the fighters. But uh, we'll we'll move on. Uh, my number eight is Bellator beats the UFC to Hawaii. I don't have that on my list, so we can talk about it. I, you know, is it a new, new noteworthy story? Absolutely, but there's been so many major noteworthy and newsworthy occurrences that took place in 2018. It just didn't. It doesn't rank for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's kind of it's interesting to me that that Bellator was able to make this this deal happen. The fact that they put on you know two shows, uh, you know, the Friday show, which was a salute to the troops show, which you know Scott Coker had noted that this was kind of an idea he had of uh, when when Viacom did the the Rock special over there. I want to say was that two three years ago um, that that was on Paramount. Then of course they had the um, the, the the Zone exclusive show on, on Saturday. Uh, with Alimale McFarlane and, um, you know, that, that scene of her coming out and just, you know, and one of my things about that and what really has stuck out, you know, 
really sticks out to me about that event is Bellator wants to wants the fighters to be themselves and, and show their personality. That type of entrance would never happen in the UFC. Nope. And that's and I think that's got to be a big recruiting tool. I mean, obviously you want to be you got how many dollars you throw on the table of the fire. It's ultimately going to get them there. But to me, it's just that that personalization, and it'll be interesting to see. If the UFC ever does do a show in Hawaii, you know, you know, I would love to see BJ Penn retire. But if BJ is going to have one more fight, the only reason for it is if, if it's a UFC show in Hawaii. Well, I think UFC priced themselves out of Hawaii. And when Dana White kind of got into that spat with the tourism board, he kind of put it out there exactly, you know, what was on the table in terms of, you know, the money that you could get from the tourism board. I'm not sure if that's exactly what happened between Bellator and, and Hawaii, but I've got to assume that they did get some money to bring an event to 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 Hawaii. Um, you know, it's very expensive to do a show out there, um, you know, because you you can't. Essentially, you can't bring your TV equipment. You can't bring your trucks out there. So you got to rent just about everything. Airfare is highly elevated. Hotel is incredibly high. So it costs way more money to do a show in Hawaii than anywhere else in the U.S., um, maybe with the notable exception of Alaska. But at least you can drive your trucks out there if you wanted to. You can't drive anything. You get, you know, you can't drive your cage out there. You can maybe put it on a boat or, uh, you know, air freight. But that costs a ton of money. Um, so there's very, very limited in the resources that you already have in place to run your shows that you can bring with you. Typically, you have to rent everything. So if they're getting, I believe, the rumor that the UFC, what they were offered was about a million dollars a show. And the UFC was asking for five million. If Bellator is getting a million a, a show to go out there and put on uh, MMA events in Hawaii, that could be potentially big because they do have some Hawaiian talent and they can present them in their element and make some of their Hawaiian talent look like the stars that they would like them to be. And it's a great way for them to, to use those preliminary cards of local talent to find maybe maybe you find the next Max Holloway. Yeah. You know, I think that that's the other thing that I, I feel like when we get a year, two, three years down the road, you know, one of the guys that they did sign uh, was Nainoa Dung, who was on the main card of the DAZN show. Uh, he's uh, what's he now two and oh, two or three and oh in his career. They signed him to a multi fight deal, so you know, be interesting to kind of see if that can uh, go along. Yeah, and, th and they'll own the market on all the local Hawaiian talent. And there's been a lot of great talent to come out of Hawaii over the years. It, but if Bellator is the only major promotion putting on events and doing shows there, you know, in the term in the eyes of Hawaiian MMA, they are the major leagues of MMA. If the U if Bellator's going there and the UFC's not, you have to give a tremendous recruiting edge to Bellator. And, and one of the things to note is for Hawaiian fighters, it's very tough for them to get fights in the United States because of the cost it is to bring them over here. Yep. You know, yep. I, I talked to a manager about that a couple of weeks ago, and they said, you know, it's just it's it's tough. It's tough. Uh, my number seven is something well, that you – to, to kind of piggyback on that, I you know all, I was always when I was with Bellator as the matchmaker, I was always getting hit hit up by managers with Hawaiian fighters, and if they were a blue chip prospect, absolutely we wanted to put the money out there to bring them in. But you'd have a lot of frustrated managers with guys that they felt were prospects. You know how can what can I do? What can I do? And I said, look, you know if they want to relocate to California, we're doing shows out in California. I can probably get them a lot of work in California, but I don't have the budget right now to fly your guys in from Hawaii three to four times a year. If they really are serious about fighting for Bellator or fighting for any big show at this point, they need to relocate for a little bit. 
Yeah, you've seen a lot of those guys uh, relocate to California. Uh, my number seven was something that obviously you mentioned, which was your number seven as well, was the, the trade between uh, the quote unquote trade between the UFC and one championship. I mean, this was this was something that kind of like you heard rumors about, but you're always kind of like, oh no, that's never going to happen. Yeah. And then it happens, yep. and you're like, oh my god. Yeah. And, and like to me, like I look at this. And I think it's a win-win for both both the UFC and one one championship. Well, to me, it's the most surreal news story of 2018. Just the idea of Ben Askren joining the UFC after the history between Askren and Dana White. You touched on it earlier. It's Askren to the UFC is something that I've wanted to see for a long time, but it's not something that I really believed until recently would ever actually have a chance to happen. So seeing him, you know, make the move in general is very surreal, but under the circumstances, an actual trade, maybe not a trade in the true sense of the word, but there was collaboration by both one and release both fighters from their existing contracts so that the each party could sign a new deal with the other promotion we've never really seen a collaboration like that between two companies in terms of exchanging talent or making talent available to one another you know and you, you hit the nail on the head it is a win-win for both parties Askren was idle he was not fighting for one you know they really had no competition for him so he essentially retired but now going to the UFC, we're going to see a lot of great matchups. And, you know, Demetrius Johnson was really underappreciated, underutilized in terms of how he was promoted going to a, you know, Asian-based uh, promotion where there is, you know, more appreciation for the lighter weights. I definitely think he will be promoted uh, in, in a much better light. And the fact that we're going to see some exposure of one uh, here in the U.S. on Turner Turner Sports, you know, that, you know, having a guy like Demetrius Johnson, a former UFC flyweight champ, one of the most decorated champions in their history, seeing, uh, having them, having him on their roster to feature on some of these U.S. Uh, telecasts, I think that's going to be huge for them. Yeah, I mean, it, right when the whole thing went down, my, one of my initial thoughts was there's a lot of guys in that UFC welterweight division that probably aren't that ecstatic about Ben Askren coming in because, I mean, you're talking about Khabib-type grappling where he is going to get you to the ground and you're not getting back up. I think, you know, you talked about Dana White, you know, now suddenly being a fan of Askren. Dana has had so many issues with fighters, especially within this last year. Guys, you know, wanting to fight particular fighters that the UFC didn't necessarily want them to fight, not being able to get the matchups they wanted, getting guys to agree to fight on the shows that they needed them to. I think they've got a lot of guys, um, you know, I think the inmates in certain situations are running the asylum in the UFC. And I think that they have a guy in Askren who's essentially going to be an assassin for them. You know, hey, you know, you're not doing, you know, you're not doing what we like you to do. You're not fighting frequently. You're ducking this guy. You're ducking that guy. You know, here's Ben Askren. Now this is who you're going to have to fight. And, you know, after the after Askren gets done with you, no one's going to want to work with you. Yeah, it, it's just it's it's crazy to think about. If you would have said that this would have happened five years ago, people would have said, no way, he's never going to fight in the UFC. And it's just it's one of those things, I think, for people who've been following the sport, it's something we want to see. Uh, my number six is Bellator signing a streaming deal with the zone. And this really has been kind of a, a thing we've seen in MMA with a lot of MMA promotions going the streaming route. Uh, you know, look at more regional promotions going like with UFC Fight Pass and Flow Combat and other things along those lines. And, and it, it was a massive deal for Bellator when you look at, you know, how much money they're getting, the fact that the the welterweight tournament fights are all exclusive to the zone. And, and obviously there would be more viewers on, on Paramount, 
But uh, to me, this was a massive deal for Bellator, and I think it's it's going to really help them, you know, acquire more talent. That's on my list as well in the top five, of course. So we'll talk about it a little more when we get to my top five. So that that's uh, that's my ten through six. So you want to start with the, your five through one? Well, the way I think the format goes, you it goes back to you, serpentine style. So you can go five to one, or I can take it from here, whatever you prefer. I'll go. Uh, my number five. The struggles of the Professional Fighters League. This is, uh, you know, obviously they just had their, their championship event, but that was my number five. Again, Jason, there's so many. It's not on my list. There's been so many impactful, crazy stories in the world of MMA in 2018. That didn't even show up on my radar. Just because the PFL, how many people are really engaged and following what they're doing? I'm not saying they're not doing good things. I'm just saying how many people are following it, and I guess you're turning the lack of interest in the PFL to an actual story. To me, in, in this year, with so many crazy things, I just that's, again, not on my radar. Here, Here's, to me, really says a lot about where the struggles are with the PFL. Monday night, I'm sitting on my couch, you know, old man Jason over here, don't go, don't go out anymore on New Year's Eve, just sits on the couch. <laughs> so I, you know, I had, I had PFL on, I, I was watching it. Um, you know, when you, when you have six fights that are scheduled for 25 minutes and four, five of the six go 25 or almost go 25 minutes, uh, you know, it, it ends up being a long night, but I saw as many I almost saw more people tweeting about Ariel show on ESPN two than the PFL fights. And that to me, if, if I was a PFL executive, I'm going, Oh my God, there's more people tweeting about a year in <laughs> recap show than live fights actually going yeah. on. You got a little bit of an issue. You know, the, the thing with the PFL, I've, I've, I've watched some of their fights and I've got to say, I, I really like the format and I've liked some of the fights that I watched. I think whenever you have a tournament style, the, the fighters fight at a different intensity. They fight as if they have everything to gain and nothing to lose, as opposed to vice versa, which is what we see in a lot of fights these days. So, you know, I, I think that they definitely have some positive things going for them. I just don't know if MMA is hot enough right now, and I don't think they have the right platform to really grow their, their promotion. And, you know, we talked about their million-dollar tournaments earlier this year, and I predicted that, you know, the fighters would never see that money – but they, they, they actually did. I was wrong, and I think that's great. But I don't know how the ownership can justify coming back, handing out you know five to six more million-dollar paychecks in 2019. I would be very surprised. I wouldn't be shocked if we didn't see a, a encore season for PFL. And if we do, I definitely think there's going to be some drastic changes to the financial structure. The biggest obstacle for them is they have to get a better TV deal. Mm -hmm. NBC Sports Network, even though it's Nielsen rated, it's very lightly rated. Their ratings on uh, NBC Sports Network have been not so good. Uh, in fact, I would say terrible. Um, they've got to figure out a way to create a larger critical mass to expose their product to much more people because at the end of the day, it's not a bad product. The fights are very entertaining, and I think the tournament format resonates with a lot of uh, North American sports fans. Watching the fights on, on Monday night, it reminded me of old school Bellator, of, of you're doing these tournaments and you're telling stories and you're getting fans invested in fighters. It, it just it reminded me of those early on tournaments. And, uh, you know, it, it's just Paul Giff had a great piece on uh, Forbes last week about the ticket sales and uh, or I should say the lack of ticket sales that, that PFL has had. And, and I've always and I think we've talked about in the past. 
the fact that they're not using local ticket sellers to get to get butts in the seats. I, you know, I I just I, I, as a small business owner, I look at what they're doing and I go, how do you justify shelling out the amount of money they are for fighters when where is the return on investment? I, I just I mean, look, we want to see fighters make the most money, but the promotion's got to make money as well. Exactly. I just I don't know how PFL can become. A, a legit promotion in in this in this sport. I, I don't think I don't think there's enough room for them. Yeah, uh, my number uh, four, uh, Sam, is the lack of development in a fighters' union. I know you know I don't know if this is on your list or not, but no, it's not. It's uh, it, you know, I just think it's a very open ended topic, and you know, it's, I don't, I just don't think we're ever going to see it. I just if we haven't seen it by now. We're never going to see it. Yeah, I, I, I think it's highly unlikely. You know, it, it's just I, I know that every time there's some major fighter related story that happens, you know, Project Spearhead, you see a bunch of tweets from them. And it, it's just ultimately is, is I just I mean, I, I think it's probably less than a 5% chance. And maybe I'm too high at 5%. It's interesting, Jason, because there's a couple stories now in my top five that aren't even on your top 10 list. This is, this is going to be crazy. Yeah. I just, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I have a feeling my top three are all going to be on your list, by the way. Let's hope. Let's hope. Number three, (laughs) John Jones, USADA, UFC 232 fiasco. Bingo. Uh, So you can, did you combine the plea deal with the, uh, it's kind uh, of putting all of this, this story into one, everything that has happened. I did a little differently. I broke it down into two stories, but, you know, it's uh, man, John Jones. It's just you would think after a 48 month suspension gets reduced down to 15 months in very dubious, questionable circumstances, that that would be the apex of controversial events surrounding John Jones in 2018. That didn't even begin to take the cake. That was just the impetus. That's just what allowed what just happened uh, this past week to actually occur. And I'm still flabbergasted by the fact that John Jones with metabolites potentially still in his system stepped into an MMA cage and competed. I, I last week was one of the weirdest weeks yeah. being around the sport. Um, because as the week went on and, and by the time Bob Saturday got here and I, I was at a, a house party on Saturday night for the fights and, and people were asking me, and they're like, oh, what do you believe? And I'm like, I don't know what to believe at this point. I well, really you can't don't. believe John Jones. You can't believe oh, I, John I, Jones. Look, and, and before all of this happened, I said, there is no way you can give John Jones benefit of the doubt. I mean, I tweeted on Saturday night after the fights. Saturday night was once again John Jones showing he's the best light heavyweight in the world. However, he's got to prove he's a clean fighter. And it's and it's going to take multiple years for him to prove to us he's a clean fighter. And, you know, I mean, you, you look at any anyone who steps inside the cage with John Jones, you have to have your doubts of whether he's clean or not. From my perspective, I have a marketing company for health food brands, so I'm very heavily involved with health food and the science behind a lot of the brands. And I've talked to doctors. I've talked to nutritionists. I've even you know, had a chance this past September to really sit down with a couple of food scientists 
And, you know, there's always contradicting information surrounding the latest health food trends. You have one group saying that, you know, uh, cauliflower protein is incredible. And then you've got another group that's out there that has interests that uh, conflict with cauliflower and they want to shoot it down. So what I've learned through my experience in my current occupation is there's a difference between theoretical science and hard science. You can have very decorated people, you know, very educated people with all the degrees and they put a theory out there and it's a very educated theory but at the end of the day if there hasn't been uh you know credible test studies done test cases done it is still just a theory it's nothing more than theoretical science and when dana white and jeff Nowitzki they go to the experts and they you know they're naming the experts even though i've not seen anything published supporting what dana white and jeff Nowitzki state these experts are claiming i've also seen third-hand information from on Twitter and social media that contradicts what some of these experts are saying. So to me, the, the idea that these metabolites are remnants, remnants from past use, very much possible. You know, and I, I, I acknowledge that, you know, according to Dana White and Jeff Nowitzki, there are experts that are saying that's exactly the case. But I don't think that it's hard science at this stage. I think it's very theoretical. And I don't understand how you can – reintroduce someone into the sport you can reinstate someone without them having you know a track record of submitting clean tests when i was with bellator as the matchmaker as the vice president of talent relations there were a few instances where we had fighters that had tested positive in the past and their suspensions with the respective commissions had actually elapsed they had been reinstated but before we could take them and get them licensed by a new jurisdiction quite often we had commissioners mike mazzoli being one of them he said i don't care that your fighter's been reinstated and he's up for licensing again in that state that caught him he has to pass a drug test in my jurisdiction before I'll even think about licensing, licensing him. So to see John Jones, you know, I know he tested positive in uh, August and then September. I think he was reinstated, what, at the end of October, maybe early November. I think there was a clean test after the two uh, positives in August and September. But if I read things correctly, there may have been a subsequent test after he was reinstated that showed the picogram of the, the uh, Turina ball. So I just think that you know, this is what happens. The manifestation of what happened with John Jones this past week is is the result of when you have business interests that wanted John Jones to get back into MMA at all costs without really going through the full steps and really t- sitting down and, and going through the whole process of reinstating him. They rushed him back. And this is what happened. Had they actually done what they're supposed to do, had USADA communicated properly with the UFC and the commissions, they could have taken a step back, prevented this fiasco when they wanted to reinstate him, say, hey, we're going to reinstate him on paper. But before we actually do anything, before we allow you to uh, promote him on a show, before we go to commissions and seek uh, licensure, uh, licensing, we are going to uh, see if we can get find out what's going on here and see if we can get him to piss clean. And we still don't know if he can piss clean. You know, he's been tested by three separate entities, and we don't know the results of any of those. You know, USADA uh, tested him uh, after the, the fights this past weekend. Um, you know, the state of California, I'm assuming, did their own test, and now we have the VADA, the VADA testing. See, so th- this is my thing, Sam. What's going to happen when VADA says a test pops or something and USADA says it doesn't? Right. So you're going to have different tests, but let's just say – 
that that's an interesting point. But another interesting point is, let's say the the uh, picogram, the metabolites show up on both tests, and Vada interprets it in a different way than mm-hmm. USADA. USADA is saying it's a remnant. There's no uh, performance enhancing be- benefit. What are you going to do if Vada takes the exact uh, opposite approach, saying no, you know, the, we don't know for sure that these metabolites are remnants. Um, and that it could be potentially a new ingestion and that there is the potential for some performance uh, enhancing benefit. What are you going to do in that case, too? There's so many different scenarios all leading back to my theory that John Jones never should have been allowed to fight. You know, I just, you know, as last week went on, I just I, I kind of feel like Andy Foster and the California State Athletic Commission were not given all the facts. I, I feel that way too, but it, that's 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 a, that's a massive issue into itself. And that you know, if, if that was the case, then there has to be some type of repercussion. People have to be held accountable. Usada, you know, and and Jeff Nowitzki, when he was presented, he did his little press conference. Um, you know, and people asked him about you know Usada not you know making this information available to everyone, and he goes back to. Well, it's a question of, you know, transparency and privacy. You know, we've done it this way in the past. Now we're doing it this way because it's more fair for the fighters. No one's saying you have to announce this to the general public if there's a testing issue. Look, that, you still that, ha- you still ha- you still have to form the UFC and, and the commissions. You can try to keep that private, um, you know, without trying to publicize it to to the, the general public. It doesn't mean you keep it a secret from everyone. Look, I was never a fan of the whole, um, you know, fighter ABC is, uh, you know, face a potential anti-doping violation because once that came out, that fighter is labeled a cheater the rest of their career. I mean, I, right. I, I mean, you look at uh, the Tim Means situation, I, I think is, is a great way to look at it. Um, you know, because I, I think as time has gone on with this, you saw the policy is I do believe fighters have gotten smarter in, in terms of understanding that you just can't go to your local sports nutrition store and just get something off the off the shelf because you really don't know what's going to be in there. I mean, when I, I watched Novitsky's appearance on Rogan's podcast, one of the things that really stuck up to me was where Rogan was talking about how they do things on it to make sure that, um, you know, what's on the label is truly in the label and there's nothing else. I mean, and it, it's just, I mean, last week, like, I mean, that press conference they had, um, Dana and John Jones, the way they handle themselves, I mean, it's just like, did you guys not sit down and, and think about the possible questions that could be asked and how we're going to handle it? I mean, that was from a PR aspect. Last week had to be one of the worst weeks for the UFC. Yeah, you know, and another thing I want to bring up while we're on this topic, how about the 180 that Jeff Nowitzki has done with regards to an approved substance list, yeah, approved supplement list? You know, he, I listened to him on Rogan, uh, you know, not not this last appearance, but before that, several months back, where, you know, and he was very flippant about it, you know, almost a little arrogant saying, yeah, you know, I get asked about approved uh, supplements all the time. We're never going to do that. And I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said they're not going to do that because he can't guarantee the batch quality you know just there's no regulation when it comes to supplements the usda does not the fda the usda they do not uh, regulate these supplements so you could test a a you can go buy something off the shelf test it that particular batch and come out clean and then when the the manufacturer comes out with another lot another batch of the same supplement they could have changed some some of the ingredients um and it could actually create a positive test 
Um, it's different with food because everything is regulated, so you cannot change a recipe for food without proper application, without proper notice, and properly updating the ingredient list on the back label. Supplements do not have to do that at all. So I, I think that, you know, Jeff Nowitzki was actually on to something the first time on his first position. I think his first position when it came to approved uh, uh, supplements was actually the right one. And now he's changing it and it leaves a major donut hole for potential future failures. This is it, it raises credibility issues in my mind. And also, it should be noted that Nowitzki revealed that they just signed a new agreement with USADA. Yeah. Timing, I, I, I mean, I, timing. Oh, the timing of all this stuff is so dubious, Jason. It's very questionable. <laughs> oh man, it's just man. I, I, I sit there and like I, I'm like, if I'm Tom Lawler, uh, man, there's so many fighters you can sit there and can only imagine what they were thinking when all this came down. And the, the, another point to what what you just stated with the uh, re-upping of the contract. He mentioned that they're going to do what two to three times, two to three times more testing now. I think I want to say they did, and maybe my number is a little off here. I want to say they maybe they did twenty three hundred tests in twenty eighteen, and that number is supposed to rise to I want to say forty seven hundred. In you know what that means? Well, you know what that means. Double the testing, double the money that they can charge the UFC. I always feel bad. I, I I really wish I was with the you know these fighters would just like start live streaming when they they get that knock on the door at six a.m. Because you know there has probably yeah. been some very weird confrontations at a front door at six a.m. Well, anytime you go to the Diaz, you go to the Diaz household at three p.m. It's probably weird. Imagine going at five six a.m. Yeah, I would not do that. So that is uh, my number three was, was the Jones and, and USADA fiasco. Do uh, you want me to continue on with my list? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, number two, uh, and number one, number two was I, I was going kind of back and forth on which one I was going to go one to. Uh, number two, I ended up going with uh, the Conor McGregor bus incident, UFC 223, and kind of tie it into obviously what led to UFC 229. It's on my list. So that one's on my list too. So we can go to your number one. Uh, my number one is the UFC signs a deal with ESPN. That's on my list as well, so we'll jump into my top five here. Uh, we we already talked about it. John Jones reaches a plea deal with USADA, comes back from a 48-month suspension and, and uh, originally to a 15-month suspension. You combined uh, that story with my number three story, but I'm going to jump into number four. That is Bellator DAZN. Uh, that was on your list as well. I think this was a massive story, Jason, because it's basically you know they're they're shrinking their audience, their exposure. But the revenue, the, the way that Bellator has been able to monetize itself now is just incredible. This DAZN deal has been a nothing short of a, gonza, a godsend for them because, you know, I can tell you this, Jason. If, if this move with Kevin Kay, his departure from Paramount, if that had happened without the DAZN deal happening for Bellator, Bellator, not just as far as their – deal with uh, being televised on Paramount, just their overall existence, I would think would be in massive jeopardy right now. You know, I was asked by a, a uh, well-known journalist off the record earlier in 2018, hey, what do you think was is going to happen for Bellator? And I, and I was honest at that point. I said, hey, I don't know if they're going to make it. I, I really have serious doubts. 
and it's just because of the ratings were sinking and just, you know, it just it didn't seem like they had much going. I wasn't sure if Kevin K was going to be able to hang around for the long haul. And I predicted that, hey, if Kevin K's out, then I think Bellator is going to be done because I think he's the biggest advocate for, for Bellator within the Viacom family. And if Kevin K's out, they're going to look at, uh, you know, the 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 balance sheet and they're going to make some changes and Bellator, you know, is probably gonna be on the chopping block, but this DAZN deal, because Bellator is now reportedly getting six figures a year in revenue out of this DAZN deal, you know, Bellator is not going anywhere. And if it is sold, which is my prediction potentially in 2019, it's going to be sold for a lot of money. I mean, if, if your base, your base, uh, you know, income is is at least a hundred million plus. You know, merchandise, ticket sales, and you know what other deals that you have. If that's your base revenue, your base gross revenue, then you're going to get paid potentially three to five times as much as that in terms of a purchase price. So now you're taking them into a new financial stratosphere. And who are the potential suitors out there that can afford such a price tag? This is my thing about the zone. Is the the marketing of how they came up with the name and the way they spelled it. Yeah. Because yes. more times than not, I talk to people who have no idea how to say it. Usually it's like Dazen. That that seems to be the most probable. It's like, no, it's the it's like a hockey. It's like a, a Eastern European hockey name. You know, you get you the, these teams spend all this money on these tremendous Eastern European hockey talents, and they don't become massive stars right away in the U.S. because no one can pronounce their names, so no one knows how to talk about them with their friends. Yeah, I will say this: the one room I heard with the zone. This was probably I don't know a couple weeks ago. Is that when the AAC football rights come up? So that's uh, the conference that. Uh, UCF currently plays in is that the zone is going to be a is going to be a player in trying to get those rights. Well, we'll see how financially sustainable their business model is because I have some major questions as oh. a startup. As a startup, they're doing a lot of traditional things, but I just don't know where the return of investment is. I, you know, you talked another thing that you mentioned at the top of the show, Jason. All these different streaming options. Eventually, you know, the, the bubble's going to burst. You know, everyone can't afford all of these streaming services, and there's going to be some con- consolidation. Now, does does the zone, you know, two or three years from now, does it just go belly up and declare bankruptcy, or does it become an acquisition target for a bigger streaming platform like an Amazon or even a Netflix? Yeah, I think the interesting thing in, in heading into 2019 is how much does Fight Pass subscriber rate drop? Well, they got Roy Jones Jr. boxing, Jason. I'm, I, you know, I'm signing up for that. Well, I mean, look, they've they've got a lot of. <laughs> I'm non, being sarcastic. Non UFC. Con- I mean, like for me, for my aspect is there. I I look at. I'm a Fight Pass subscriber for UFC live content. All that's with the exception. The only thing that's going to be UFC content on Fight Pass is going to be UFC pay per view early prelims. Eh, I'm not paying ten bucks a month for that. Yeah, I mean, it'd be like subscribing to the WWE Network without any WWE content. Yeah, and I think that's 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 a major story in 2019. So I have my number three, which is basically on your list as well, combined as one story. John Jones testing positive for metabolites. Um, my number two is your number two, and we can get into this. It, it you know, this almost didn't make my list, Jason, because. There's been so many. Well, here's why. Here's why it happened so long ago. I I felt it felt like it happened in 2017 and Mm -hmm. I had to do my research, but it actually happened in 2018 on April 5th. You know, I had to remind myself that this bus attack happened during the 2018 calendar year. So many things have happened since then, not just, you know, in general, but even just in particular to Conor McGregor. 
Um, it, you know, a lot of things have happened in his life and his career since April 5th. But the bus attack, just the amount of coverage it received, you know, not just TMZ. I mean, it was on ESPN. It was on a lot of major news networks. Not necessarily the best kind of coverage that you want to get for MMA in the public eye, but a ton of coverage anyway. Uh, MMA being talked about in major, massive uh, news streams where it's normally not talked about. So, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, this was, you couldn't get away from this story. Yeah, it brought that bag stigma that some people have uh, about mixed martial arts. I mean, look, I, I produce a cannabis podcast and there's a stigma about cannabis, whether we're talking about medical cannabis or, or recreational cannabis. And, and it was just that stigma where the people that don't care for MMA, this was like fuel to their fire of like, Hey, you know, look what, look what happened here. I mean, it was just, you know, you think, and right when that incident happened, you knew like, okay, that's going to be promotional material at some point, And sure it was. Yep, and we saw the the payoff of that <laughs> that bus attack. Um, you know the, the the fight between McGregor and Norga Madoff. Now my number one is your number one. The UFC leaves Fox Sports, signs a deal with ESPN, the worldwide sports leader. Twenty shows on ESPN Plus, ten shows on ESPN in 2019. We could talk about the finances and how it's been reported, but still, the UFC going to ESPN, leaving Fox, massive, massive news for the industry. I don't think there anyone could make an argument that there's a story bigger than that. No, I mean, it, I mean, it doesn't matter what sport we're talking about. The network you want to be on is ESPN. I don't care whether we're talking about fighting, football, basketball, hockey. I mean, I mean, look, look what's happened to the NHL since they haven't been on ESPN. I mean, the ESPN barely talks about them. Yep. People just don't even think about it. it, it it's such a huge deal. Uh, we, we've seen ESPN over the last six months or so just uh, vamp up the, the covers they have on, on MMA. Obviously, bring in Eric Hawani and, and what he does has been big for them. The, the shows are, they're doing on the ESPN Plus platform. I'm not an ESPN Plus uh, subscriber yet. Uh, but obviously, you know, I'm going to become a subscriber here to, to get all this UFC content. But it, it's a massive deal. And, you know, it's, you know, I, the one thing I, I really wish people would, it, it seems to me that people in the MMA bubble, they're so in need of MMA being a mainstream sport. And, and I just, I'll continue to say it, it's never going to be a mainstream sport because it's not like football where you, you, your wife cannot be a fan, but she'll sit down and watch watch the uh, the game with you. I'm, I'm telling you right now, my wife's not sitting on the couch watching fights with me. Just doesn't interest her. But that's okay. That's fine. But this is, you know, it, it will be interesting to look at what they draw on ESPN in comparison to what they drew on FS1. And also, how will the, the fight quality change over time as we saw it change with FS1 and Fox? I'm very curious about the viewership of these ESPN Plus shows because you're talking about 20 shows on ESPN Plus versus 10 shows on ESPN. That If these ESPN Plus shows are not highly viewed, then you're talking about a great reduction in exposure in terms of fight night viewing. Now, UFC, if they lose the exposure in that regard, they're probably going to make it up uh, you know, twofold with regards to how the UFC is covered on sports center um you know which which is obviously not necessarily the paywall uh barrier that espn plus is you know more getting all that that increased exposure on uh sports center and some of their other news, news programs on espn 
could really help their pay-per-view uh, performance, especially with some of these smaller shows, uh, or it could not. I mean, we don't know for sure. But that was the one thing that I really, you know, thought about going from Big Fox, having four shows on Big Big Fox, and not having that component, a network TV component, with regards to the ESPN deal. You know, you know, part of me thought that that's really going to hurt them. But the reality is, how many pay-per-view stars, new pay-per-view stars, in the seven years that the UFC was on Big Fox, you know, all those Big Fox shows that they did, how many major pay-per-view stars did they create? In those seven years, zero. So if you if you can't create major stars on network TV, what's the point? You know, what's the value in those shows anyway? Yeah, I mean, I think it's in their first, their debut on, on January nineteenth. I I won't be watching live because I'll, I'll be up in, in Knoxville for the Valor Fighting Challenge show. But it, it's it's going to be interesting to me to see because obviously there's already been talk on MMA social media about this. Of people saying, I'm not going to support this show because of what the co-main event is. And will that turn people away? I think at the end of the day, people are still going to watch because they're probably going to be the biggest Alan Crowder fans. Yeah. I. <laughs> well, you talk about the UFC not being a mainstream sport, MMA not being a uh, mainstream sport. I disagree with you. I think the potential was there at one point, but with the way... It's being operated. The the moves that are being made and, and the Greg Hardy situation uh, is just you know one of those many aspects. You know when you do things like that, yes, you will never become a mainstream sport. You know just the the promotional moves that Dana White and the UFC has made within the last I would say sixteen months, just it it's all feels very desperate like a desperate cash grab. Um, and you know Greg Hardy. You know, John Jones shouldn't have been fighting and, you know, absolutely without question. But to me, Greg Hardy fighting is one of the most egregious mistakes we've seen in MMA in quite some time. I mean, if he wants to fight on some backwood shows for regional promotion, that's fine. But he should not be fighting in what's considered to be the major league of MMA. Yeah, I'm I'm still I shouldn't be amazed they signed him, but I still am. But they don't. Do they really need him? Like what value does he bring to the UFC? I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, he's I, not, I guess, a, he's not a star. It's not like he's, he was this major quarterback or, you know, big time running back. He was a, you know, multi-time, multi-time pro bowl defensive end for a couple of teams who bombed out after he, you know, even he, he got in, he had an opportunity to come back after he was convicted of the uh, domestic violence situation. He, you know, he went back to the Cowboys yeah. and it, it just, and he flamed out there. So, you know, what he, he, he was never a massive crossover star. You know, yeah. you see Sean Merriman every now and then appear on something. And, and to me that has more appeal than a Greg Hardy. I mean, Sean Merriman was, you know, mm-hmm. promoted much heavier by the the NFL than Greg Hardy ever was. Yeah, I, I remember uh, Hardy's last year. Um, Dallas came to Tampa to play, and he got booed every time his name, you know, was called. And, and I just, you know, it, it's all three is is, and I use this analogy in in my day to day business. It, it simply is what's the end game. And I and I don't get what the end game is here with the UFC in terms of Greg Hardy. Like I just I I, I I I guess I'll never understand it. And it's not like a CM Punk situation. They brought CM Punk. He had a short term uh, shelf life, but they were able to capitalize on that, you know, to a minor extent. But I don't think they're going to get much of a bump from Greg Hardy. No, I mean, it, it, I guess the question is: is will ESPN? 
And, and I don't know if there's a way for them to analytically gauge this or not, because I mean, obviously they're going to get new subscriptions from UFC fans over you know the next three weeks, just because of, of the transition over to ESPN. But analytically, can they kind of figure out is Greg Hardy pushing subscriptions? I don't know if there's analytics for that, but I think if they can monitor the streams, they can probably potentially see where, you know, whether, uh, whether or not viewership is increasing or decreasing. And I think that's a big, uh, that's, that's definitely how they'll evaluate Greg Hardy and his business potential. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, kind of the other part of this is just to simply the OTT that, that we're just seeing in MMA and, and you brought up a good point earlier is, is what point does this bubble kind of burst where like, I look at myself, I, I have YouTube TV, which I think it's what, 45, $45 a month with the DVR. Um, you know, I've got Netflix, I've got uh, the zone. I, I've currently have fight pass, but I'm going to disconnect that thing. I think it's up in like middle of January for me. Um, and then I have prime video. So, I mean, I, I have all wow. these, these streaming wow. services. Yeah. You might as well have cable again. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I, I, I was, I was, I turned on Netflix like last night for like the first time. And I don't know how long. And I'm like, do I really need Netflix at this point? I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, Disney Plus is going to be coming out in 2019. And once some of the shows that I like on Netflix kind of run their course, you know, Netflix has canceled a lot of the uh, Disney Marvel shows that I really enjoyed. And they're not, you know, the ones that they haven't canceled yet. They're not going to be doing future seasons once uh, the seasons that they're going to show in 2019 conclude. I'm very seriously considering dropping Netflix because I'm going to have to get ESPN plus I mean not ESPN plus pardon me Disney plus because they're going to have so much Marvel content they're going to have Star Wars content you know I, I cut Hulu this past year because um, with YouTube TV it's to me it's basically you know live TV plus Hulu because you get all of those mm-hmm. shows and movies you know um, on demand <laughs> and on DVR so you know I'm like why do I even have Hulu but yeah once Disney plus comes out uh, you know just and we're getting off the topic but uh, once Disney Plus comes out, wouldn't surprise me if you know a year from now I'm canceling Netflix. Look, I, and, and look, we, YouTube TV is not a sponsor of this show, but I'll tell you, I think it's. I mean, the, the only the only downside to it is if you like to monitor Twitter in real time when you're watching sports events, you have to understand you're going to be on a little bit of a delay. Yep. But yep. outside of that, like I, honestly, like just in my experience of it, I've had no streaming issues. The Zone every once in a while, though, you'll, you'll get a little hiccup. Uh, in their streaming issues, when I've uh, used UFC.tv to buy UFC pay-per-views, it, it can be hit or miss at time. But with YouTube, I, I've had no streaming issues. I've had some streaming issues with YouTube TV, but I believe that's primarily uh, having to do with the fact that I have Xfinity as a uh, provide, you know, as a broadband yeah, provider. I, I've seen your, I've seen your tweets. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 horrible, but. I want to close out the show real quick, Jason, with my not top five. These are five stories that either just missed uh, their honorable mentions or just, you know, stories that are a little crazy, you know, kind of out of left field um, that we can talk about real quick. Number five, and they're not really ranked in order, but I'm going to go down them in an order on my list. Uh, Number five, Alliance MMA calls it a day, Jason. Yeah, I actually did a show for Alliance. Um, really that's right it was in florida right yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, uh it ended up being uh shogun fights initially it was going to be uh cffc 
Uh, it ended up being a, a Shogun Fights card, which uh, you know, it, it was a, a regional card. I mean, it was pretty much, uh, for the most part, with, with South Florida uh, products. The, the main event was uh, Sean Brady and, and Colton Smith. Sean Brady is one of those guys on the regional scene. That I'm, I'm kind of surprised that he's not been signed by the UFC or Bellator um, at this point. But, I mean, um, I got a chance to see kind of what they did. I, I mean, I, I saw what they were doing, but obviously it didn't work. One of the least surprising demises in MMA was Alliance MMA, uh, you know, basically shutting down operations. From the start, I had questions about their business plan. You know, I thought they were doomed from, for failure from the moment they opened. It's just, uh, you know, not a well-conceived idea promoting minor league MMA. You know, major league MMA is seeing, is seeing some of its audience levels uh, reduce. How are you going to push a national minor league MMA to people? It just, uh, just didn't work. Uh, also, my list... Ian Kidd, the former contributor to Bloody Elbow, outed as a child porn sex offender in Scotland. You you talk about bizarre stories in 2018. This was something that was completely out of left field. I will tell you, I remember I was uh, coming back to my office, and my office is in downtown uh, St. Petersburg, Florida. I was coming from a, a restaurant marketing meeting and I was in the car for know, about 45 minutes and then I get tipped off to this. And, and the person who tipped me off, I said, is this him? You know, because, and that was kind of the first thing was, was this actually him? And then of course you, you find out uh, that was him. And uh, you know, I personally, I mean, I thought uh bloody elbow did a great story kind of how everything went down for them in terms of this. Um, Personally, I thought they should have got out the got out in front of the story quicker than they did. And that's not really a, a knock against the bloody elbow editorial staff. That is a knock against Vox Media, mm-hmm. which really yeah. muzzled and uh, hampered you know bloody elbow and, and and the contributors of that great site from just speaking openly and honestly and candidly. About what was it was very strange how Vox handled it. It's not how I would have handled a situation like this if I was in a management situation. Um, also on my list, the UFC essentially killing the 125 division. That was one that was definitely in consideration for me. Um, not surprised. I, I will tell you this. <laughs> when they moved Cejudo Dillashaw off pay-per-view to that ESPN Plus show, I was, from a a bar marketing aspect wasn't disappointed because I knew it was going to be tough to draw in a crowd for, for that fight. And, and I like when I talk to people who I'm, you know, I talk fights with all the time. No one has sat there and told me they're excited to see that fight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm personally not, it didn't make my top 10 list because much like the 125 division itself, I just didn't feel passionate enough about it to, to include it. But I feel like it's noteworthy enough that we should at least mention it as an honorable mention. Also on my list as an honorable mention, one, uh, and we talked about it kind of, one, inking a deal with Turner Sports. So we'll go right into um, my next story, which is Sage Northcutt um, joining 1FC. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> the thing that I found comical about that is Dana White acting like they released him from his contract. It's like, no, Dana. He fought out his deal. Yeah. He got a better offer that you weren't willing to pay. Like it, 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 it was, it's almost like he he thinks we're stupid and not understand what was going on. I when when Sage became a free agent, I was like, could you imagine what Scott Coker and Rich Chow could do with him? Yeah, 
But I think uh, I think one probably threw a lot more money at him than uh, Bellator was willing to go, which says a lot because Bellator is sitting on a lot of money from the DAZN deal now. Uh, trust me, the, I, I I had heard what Eddie Alvarez won from them, and that was never going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Now, the last story that we're going to talk about here, you know, uh, not on my honorable mention list, but just in terms of being bizarre, Randy Couture. The Randy Couture sex tape release. And, you know, when I first heard about this, I was like, oh, you know, probably not the worst thing in the world. You know, Randy Couture probably with a much younger woman. It's probably going to, you know, help his uh, Q score, you know. And then you find out the the kicker, it's there's no one else in the sex tape with Randy Couture, which, yeah. uh, you know, uh, there you go. Yeah, that's, uh, two, that's two th- <laughs> uh, that, that really sums up the 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 lunacy and the surrealness of 2018. Yeah, I mean, in MMA. Yeah, it's and I know we we shouldn't say this, but there'll be something just shocking that'll happen in MMA in 2019. You know there will be. There will be, but I don't think in terms of news that it's going to top 2018. I've been wrong before. I could be wrong again. Obviously, if if Bellator is sold, and you know, I think the UFC is going to be sold within the next two years. I don't think it's going to happen in 2019. But if we saw a year in 2019 where both Bellator and the UFC were sold. Uh, definitely 2019 would top 2018, but I don't think we're going to see that. So I don't think you're going to see another year in terms of newsworthy developments in MMA uh, for quite some time. This this was a crazy year. Yeah, it was a crazy year, but uh, it was great talking in MMA with you, Sam. It was good to be back for a show, and maybe we'll do this again sometime in 2019. And, of course, uh, if you want to check out uh, the archives, just go over to RadioInfluence.com. Of course, uh, Sam, uh, let everyone know where they can follow you at on social media if they ever want to ask you a question, man. Yeah, just uh, check me out on Twitter, at Sam Kaplan, Kaplan with a C, C C-A-P-L-A-N-B-A-C. And, uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Jason underscore Floyd. Be sure to check out my podcast, the MMA Report Podcast. Uh, This week's episode includes interviews with UFC lightweight Alexander Hernandez and Bellator featherweight Henry Corrales. is an MMA report with Jason Floyd, Quick Fix, on Radio Influence. When I was watching that fight, it did not seem like Nunez was that much smaller, like, no. strength-wise than Cyborg. No, no. I mean, it, one of the things is, right before that fight started, I just had this I, w- I had this gut feeling. I'm like, Nunez is going to pull it off. And, you know, the thing about it, like, and UFC had this tweet after the fact of, of you know, showing kind of the highlights of, of the barrage of punches. They said haymakers. And I'm like, it's not really haymakers because when you go back and you watch the, the that just the, you know, what, 51 seconds it was, is the fact of the pinpoint accuracy that a man Nunez landed. I mean, clear, I mean, clearly, you know, her game plan was I'm going to get straight in the face of Chris Cyborg and I'm going to bring the fight to her. And, and just, and I know that there's some people who want to debate this, but how can you not debate right now that a man Nunez is the greatest women's fighter of all time? I don't know. When you look at her resume, I, and, and, and one person, you know, commented to me said, well, I like to see a longer winning streak. Okay. I get that when you look at what Chris Cyborg has done throughout her career. But I, I think that you just, you look at the, if you compare resumes between Chris Cyborg and Amanda Nunez, Amanda Nunez is, 
resume is better. You take away the win over Cyborg, it's better. She's faced better competition, and that's 100% due to the fact that Chris Cyborg didn't fight at 135. I mean, the 145-pound division on which Chris Cyborg built her legacy just straight up sucks. But she's still, based on her legacy and based on how long Cyborg has been doing it, Cyborg established herself as the GOAT. I mean, there was a point in time when Ronda Rousey obviously made the argument. There was a point in time when Ioana Janjic obviously made the argument. But both those cases faltered. You know, Amanda Nunez was the reason why Ronda was a big reason why Ronda Rousey's case faltered. And so really the only fighter you would argue uh, that Nunez is not better than in terms of the all-time rankings is the fighter she just beat in 51 seconds. The MMA Report with Jason Floyd can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.